Okay, so I'm recording. So this is a live reaction to Powell's speech here or interview at the Economic Club of Washington, Washington D.C. And a lot of people are wanting to see if he's going to be as dovish as he was in the press conference, which I didn't think he was all that dovish. He was maybe slightly dovish, but um, you know, if if he's if he's not super hawkish, people interpret that as majorly dovish. So anyway, um, people were wondering if he was going to continue with that dovish tone or not. And the first question he got was about this jobs report. If he would have seen this jobs report first before they made their policy decision, would they have raised 25 basis points or 50 basis points instead of 25 basis points? He kind of dodged the question a little bit saying, well, our expectations were that we were going to be needing to be higher for longer, less accommodative for longer, and that this jobs report data reinforces what their expectations were. So he didn't say yes or no, he would have gone differently, just that the the jobs data actually reinforces uh, what their expectations were. And that's a very clever way for Powell to do that. Now, speaking about this jobs data, he also said that, you know, the jobs market is like miraculously strong. And we did talk about this here on the show, saying that there were these different adjustments that were being made. And there were like many people were talking about these missing employees, that there were roughly around 2 million people that weren't showing up or people thought weren't showing up. And there were speculation about, if they were early retirees or maybe they were actually COVID deaths or deaths during COVID time or something, somehow that they these were missing employees. Um, but after the adjustments, they kind of showed up. They showed up in different places along the way. I mean, yes, we want the government to update how they count things, but it does leave room for corruption and we should never discount that. So it made me, I was getting into the M's there before I decided to hit record. Um, so now the M's, if you think about money supply, and this really ties into this show, right? When we're talking about Bitcoin, we're talking about currencies, we're talking about inflation, deflation, going forward, how does Bitcoin take over the world? So when when they were designing these M's, you know, it used to be where they could just like count bank deposits. They could count their reserves in gold, and then they could count bank deposits uh, and you know, they would have a money supply measure. But when they unmoored it, or when it started becoming unmoored and became more and more credit-based money or book money, it became harder to measure. So they invented M1, and then they invented M2. Then they invented M3, because they kept, you know, money kept evolving out from underneath their measurements. And they would look at the M1 money supply, and they said, well, this doesn't describe what's going on with prices or the economy, you know? So maybe there's different money out there somewhere. So let's update our measurements to M2. And then that didn't work. So they did M3. Well, they should have continued on that path. They should have continued with M4, M5, M6. Every few years, taking a hard dive into the offshore dollar system and trying to trace where this money is, what is being used as money, understand these things. Uh, But they didn't do that. What they did was they got rid of M3. Uh, Alan Greenspan got rid of M3, 
And then they most recently got rid of M2 as well because it didn't, it didn't work. It doesn't measure money. Uh, all the M2 measurements now I think are unofficial, but we, we wanted them to s- try to keep up with the evolving economy, just like we kind of want CPI and we want the jobs data. You know, We want them to actually go out there and try to keep up with the changes in the economy. So that's a good thing. But, you know, there is room for corruption and we should always keep that in mind. Now, this jobs data also, he said it's extraordinarily strong. Well, it was mostly part-time workers, right? There was very few full-time skilled labor positions added. It was mostly part-time positions added. And so that would be like, either you are a full-time worker and you're going to get a second part-time job or you're a part-time worker. Say you're like a stay-at-home mom and you have a 10-hour a job or 10-hour a week job, uh, but that's no longer enough. So now that mother goes out and gets a second job or the husband gets a second job or whatever the case is, that more people are getting these part-time jobs. And so, yeah, if, if depending on what you're measuring, if you're taking it as an aggregate, then the jobs market looks very tight. But if you're looking at it from, you know, breaking it down into the different components, it's not necessarily tight for the jobs that most people want, the the skilled, high-paying jobs. So uh, there's a mixed signal. Also, I would say, you know, uh, there's a qualitative difference here. So a tight market, you know, even so the Fed uses all these econometric models, the Phillips curve. What are some other ones like Nairu or however you say that? Um, there's all there's a lot of things with employment and how the employment works and how wealth effect works and, and all of this stuff that these, these are all these models that the Fed uses. And, you know, a lot of times they'll just take a monolithic jobs number. Oh, my gosh. Unemployment is at three point four percent. But there's a qualitative difference in many, many cases, right? There's no room for the qualitative nature of a, the 3.4% unemployment. They see a 3.4% unemployment and they think, oh my God, the jobs market is so tight. But in reality, the reason why it's 34 is because many people have second jobs. So it's actually a qualitative difference that they are, the economy is really bad. So I don't know. I, that, that's the problem, of course, with econometric models doing it that way. But anyway, I, I got all that from the very first thing that Powell was talking about here. Let's take a look at stocks. Oh man. So stocks are liking it. Let's see what's going on with Bitcoin. 20, whoa, 23,300. I mean, I'm not super surprised by this move for Bitcoin at least. You know, I've been kind of expecting it to stay in this channel. It does need to fall a little bit more to reset a little bit more, I think, before the next leg, a little bit of more consolidation but Bitcoin is really liking this as well. All right, that's that. I need to record this and put this out. So what I'm going to do now, guys, is I'm going to pause for a second. I'm not going to redo what I just did there. Um, but what I'm going to do is start live streaming on YouTube and Twitter. And I'm going to go through an article here uh, and expound on this a little bit. And I did post the article link in Telegram this morning. Let's see. Let me scroll up and find it. Okay. Yeah. It's the very, this, the most recent Zero Hedge article where it says money is tight. 
where I say money is tight. And then I posted all of the charts there as well from the article. So you guys can follow along with that. But let me get this restream set up. So Telegram folks, uh, thanks for joining me a few minutes there early. You'll get uh, a little bit extra content today. I'm going to hit go live here on restream. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Anson Lindner. What I do here on the show is I look at Bitcoin macro, try to know where we're at, where we're going, question my assumptions, take a skeptical point of view on all these things, and just have a good time. Uh, Have a good time with the community. It's really uh, lots of activity going on in the Telegram. Check out t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. All right. So what do we have on deck for today well before i went live here with youtube and with twitter i was going over uh, our reacting to powell speaking at the economic forum there in washington dc and we i went jabbered on for about 20 minutes talking about different government metrics and all of that stuff what we we're doing is kind of seeing how the market was going to react to powell speaking uh, a lot of people were expecting this to be, well, see if Powell was going to be as dovish as he was back at the FOMC press conference. And it seems that the market is interpreting it that way. So let's go over here to the charts real quick. And you can see the Bitcoin price is up quite heavily, uh, up to 23,000. We saw it at 300, 23,300. Let me take some of these EMAs off and everything and go down to the one hour. And you can see that the market has really reacted positively to what Powell was saying. I think he's just not being bearish. It is definitely, or hawkish, I guess. It has been a noticeable change in the rhetoric that he is less hawkish than he was before. Of course, he doesn't want to uh, come out and say, oh yeah, we're going to reevaluate right here. Because that is going to undermine the market trying to price in more moves in the future. And, you know, the Fed wants, the Fed depends on the market pricing things in. The forward guidance, the expectation management, uh, that is how monetary policy works. And so, the you know, Powell's not going to go come in just a few days after the meeting or one week now after the latest policy decision and undermine that last hike. He wants that last hike to, to take effect, uh, you know, to do its full, duty there before he becomes very dovish but all the other central or most of the other central banks canada um the boe the ecb japan they're all pretty much signaling that they're done hiking or they will be done very soon uh the japan is still doing their massive amounts of qe so they never even tightened that uh, the fed is kind of on an island right now by by themselves being as hawkish as they are so I think Powell wants to, he he thinks he can captain this ship to a soft landing. And we'll see. We'll see. I don't think it's really up to him. But so far, I mean, people hate me for saying this. People think I'm a traitor to the cause, to, to Bitcoin or to gold and silver. But I think Powell has been a good chairman. He has been a relatively straight shooter. He has stiff-armed CBDC nonsense. He thought inflation was transitory or CPI, the the spike in CPI. He thought that was transitory. 
And I agreed with them. Uh, and I still agree with them. I think it is going to prove to be transitory. Look at the last six months. In the last six months are less than 2% annualized inflation. It, it was transitory so far. Um, and that brings us into this next story. So this is from Zero Hedge. I have a few stories here from Zero Hedge today, but I think I'm just going to concentrate on this one. And the headline is, Fed loan officer paints dire picture. Loan, loan standards approaching record tightness as loan demand plummets. All right. Loan standards approaching record tightness as loan demand plummets. And remember, QE is not money printing. Government spending is not money printing. What is money printing? Lending. Lending in the marketplace. Not just U.S., but globally. And what happens in a bad economy? When banks think that their borrowers are not going to be able to pay them back or and or they're going to have less, um, maybe a higher amount of, of defaults and non-payment, then they tighten their standards. They don't necessarily raise rates. Okay, they tighten standards. Rates rise because of borrowers expecting higher profit margins and they can afford to pay higher interest rates. Interest rates are kind of dependent on borrowers and lending standards are dependent on banks. So, okay, here we go. Late last week, when looking at the most recent senior loan officer opinion survey held by the Fed, we noted that the surge in revolving credit has not gone unnoticed by lenders. The on-bank lending practices showed banks tightening lending standards for commercial, mortgage, and credit card loans. Now, why would they tighten lending standards? Because the economy is going south. As Bloomberg's Vincent Signornella observed, quote, tighter credit likely will drive slower spending, a reduction in risk, and the potential for the Fed to pivot sooner rather than later to avoid or shorten a potential recession. That would be more good news for bond bulls, okay? Furthermore, the tightening standards are a result of most banks assigning the probability of between 40 and 80% to the likelihood of a recession in the next 12 months, with no bank reporting a probability less than 20%. Needless to say, in a recession, loan losses soar, which is why banks are seeking to limit their exposure, having already boosted credit loss provisions heading into 2023. So let's look at this uh boosting the loan loss provisions, the highest since, you know, in the aftermath of the great financial crisis. I guess if you take out uh, COVID, if you take out COVID, it's the highest since the great financial crisis. So um, yeah, banks are worried. They are tightening their lending standards and they're beefing up on their loan loss provisions. As luck would have it, today the Fed released the latest SLOOS report, SLOOS report just ahead of tomorrow's monthly consumer credit update. And it should come as no surprise that standards tightened again while demand weakened broadly for commercial and industrial loans for firms of all sizes, as well as for all types of commercial real estate loans. Even more ominously, on the household side, banks also reported weaker demand on balance for, um, demand on balance for credit card, auto, and residential real estate loans as well as for home equity lines of credit. 
here are the three main findings. So let's just digest that. Everybody's, the demand is going down. Obviously rates are higher. Rates went up because people expected to, that this quote unquote inflation would continue. And they, their profit margin, you know, it, negative real rates. That's what everyone keeps talking about is negative real rates where that the rates are the rates for loans or the interest rate is below the inflation rate. So people thought, oh yeah, I can, my profit margins, you know, even if I'm flat on my business, even if let's say I'm in a low margin business and I get maybe 5%, I expect to make the same kind of business, the same volume. It's just that prices are higher. And so maybe my margins will be 10%. So I can afford a little bit higher percentage on any sort of business loan or whatever. Um, so loans, the interest rates go up on those loans. But now it, when it starts to reverse, interest rates are still high. They, they are starting to then tighten their belt even more and they can't afford the higher interest rates. And so the amount of people wanting, uh, demanding new loans crashes. And of course, if money is printed in the process of making a loan, you know, one reason why the CPI was stuck around 1% to 2% for so many years was because that was the minimum necessary to pay off new loans. So if you think about it, you know, if there's 100 units of money in an economy and someone gets a loan, uh, but there's an interest rate of 5%, so you have to pay back principal plus interest, right? So by the time that loan is paid off, the amount of money in the economy needs to grow by 5% just to service the debt. When GDP was 2% and CPI was 2%, that's not a coincidence. It is the minimum amount of credit that must be produced to service the debt. And in that case, you know, you have low growth and low inflation. Uh, let's say you have interest rates around 5% and now all of a sudden your growth slows, new credit creation slows to 0%. Well, you're going to have a ton of defaults. And what is defaults? Defaults is also uh, destroying money. I mean, we're setting up here for a pretty big deflationary shock uh, if this is the case. So not only are banks tightening lending standards, but people, the demand for new credit is dropping dramatically. So th this is turning into a deflationary scenario very, very quickly. And so, like I said up front about Powell being a straight shooter and saying it's transitory. I mean, there are no signs. I don't know of any signs out there whatsoever that say that CPI is going to stay higher for longer. It's crazy to me that people think that. Point to one data point. Everything is saying credit is slowing down. CPI is over. Uh, high CPI is over. You know, we're slipping back into recession. I still am on the boat of a soft landing as the most likely scenario. But that's because we have so far to fall with nominal GDP. We can fall nominal GDP to zero and it's going to feel really sucky. But if this, the price deflator also falls to zero, I mean, 
it's going to be a very mild recession officially. I mean, it's going to feel like a horrible recession, but officially it will be a mild recession. So that's still what I am leaning towards. But there's nothing out there. I don't know of a single thing that people can point to as a reason other than their bias, you know, and they think QE is money printing. And they think government spending is money printing. That they, they think inflation is somehow going to be self-sustaining. Wages aren't rising all that fast. And even if they are, you know, that is, there's no new money being created. So that is not uh, sustainable either. You know, to sustain higher wages, you need to have more credit creation happening in the economy. Well, I just showed you in that, that story that credit creation is falling off. So it doesn't make sense why uh, inflation, quote unquote inflation or CPI, is not transitory. That just doesn't make any sense. Okay, so that's all I have for today, guys. Um, join me on Telegram for more live stream stuff like this. I do have uh, a couple other topics that I want to hit on very soon. Maybe I'll do a couple of live streams over the next 24 hours. So we'll see. Stay tuned. T.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. The YouTube is BTC Market Update. Make sure you like and subscribe and comment down below uh, to help other people find the YouTube channel. And lastly, don't forget there is a new tier at BitcoinandMarkets.com. Uh, it's where you can get all of my economic forecasts, macro Bitcoin, price predictions, technical analysis fundamental analysis, uh, comparative analysis, all of that stuff can be found on the new tier premium market pro at bitcoinandmarkets.com. And to celebrate the launch of this new membership for a limited time, you can get your first month for 50% off. So go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50, P-R-O-5-0. All right, guys, thanks for joining me and I'll check you on the next one. Bye.